Hello and welcome to NPP Soundbites. I'm Lisa Lintern. The application of blockchain and payments is a topic often debated. In this episode of NPP Soundbites, I speak with Samuel Brooks, the Chief Technology Officer at Block8. Block8 is a blockchain development studio that has developed and delivered enterprise solutions that combine blockchain with real-time payments on the NPP. I started by asking Sam to describe the problems his organisation seeks to solve. Distributed ledger technology, smart contracts, blockchain, they allow us to develop secure peer-to-peer software or decentralised software and connect up business and legal processes in a way that was previously not possible. It's the ultimate inefficient market killer. This is the theory and the skill comes into it when you go to turn that theory into practice and consider a lot more practical things like identity, network effect and payments. An important part of that is to understand that blockchain tech, distributed ledger technology, smart contracts, they need to be considered as belonging in the business process domain, not the data domain. So consider a business process that is currently provided by an intermediary. The the source of truth is typically kept on the intermediary's database. It's it's not held with you. It's centralized. And so th- the reason I make this point about smart contracts operating in the business domain is that this is how that false equivalence of blockchains being slow or poor databases comes about. If you're using blockchain as a database, course it's going to be slower than a database but the point is that you're doing it wrong so i guess to answer your question the the problems are mostly seen as opportunities with blockchain but seeing how some software works today looks really really crazy we feel like we see something now that will only be obvious to everybody in a decade or more So how do you use the MPP and what are the benefits that you can deliver by combining blockchain with real-time payments? It's quite common when designing a blockchain application to come across payments. Um, Consider the common model of developing a decentralised application that can operate directly between two parties to replace that existing intermediating service. In the centralised context, in the intermediating context, we have that third party who holds the current source of truth for the two parties wishing to transact. It's typically some kind of asset uh, ownership information, but it could be, say, the current state of a legal agreement. That information is a necessary input in order to understand who is to settle with whom. And actually tracking the payment is an extension of managing the source of truth of ownership. It's just no good uh, only managing the source of truth of ownership if you can't also manage the truth about who paid who. And so in the decentralized context, we seek to do the same thing just without the third party. The software that would ordinarily operate between the two parties to contract or the two parties wishing to interact digitally now operates across them simultaneously instead of between them. The benefits is that they are uh, it's cheaper overall because we don't have to pay for that intermediary's profits. The transactions being uh, more private because it's just between the interested parties. And it's usually much faster as well because it can execute on an ad hoc basis and be completely free of any 
extraneous constraints that come with using a centralized system, things like batch payment processing and netting, things like that. In terms of actually managing the payments, there are several ways to solve for payments in a distributed application. Uh, again, you could do distributed netting or do things like uh, receipts of promises or barter or, or depository receipts for cash. But sometimes you really just need to move fed income Aussie dollars from one account to another as a result of the execution of a smart contract. And that's where we look to the MPP to provide that facility. Going back to what I mentioned before about uh, blockchains programming the business domain and not the data or the database domain, there are plenty of business processes with the need to trigger a payment, you can imagine. And I think as more and more smart contracts uh, start to go live, as the adoption increases over time, it seems obvious to me that we should expect to see huge demand to move genuine fiat money around in real time. So you've been bringing this to life by partnering with a number of companies via joint venture. Can you talk me through some of those and, and how the MPP was selected and used in those solutions? Absolutely. So we're doing a few interesting things at the moment. Uh, we're, we're doing work with a company that is working in unlisted private equities. In terms of blockchain, the benefit there is to securely share the digital register, meaning that it is not able to be a black, a black box. It cannot be a black box uh, because it's shared with everybody at the same time. So this is important for all of the various stakeholders in that asset. Uh, who all can now rely on an algorithmic guarantee of truth rather than uh, trust or guarantees in some other form, such as a guarantee relating to a contract, in order to uh, be able to access the truth of their holdings and, I suppose, optionally uh, for other related rights and obligations. Another interesting space we're working in is in asset asset-backed securities. Blockchain is chiefly being used here to automate what is currently a highly fragmented and uh, very analog set of processes. The operation of intermediaries in this context comes in the form of a trustee, again, being a trusted and expensive, when you look at the alternative mode, a third party to manage the state of affairs and payments that result from changes of the underlying uh, ledger. We're also doing some work with a project in construction contract automation. So this is a hugely inefficient space and interestingly, one which actually doesn't have an existing market of intermediaries. So all of the agreements between builders and developers and subcontractors, they're all pairwise, they're all between, they're all individual agreements between each other. So in this space, we we often find that those agreements routinely stall and turn litigious. And so the NPP in that space, it's it's being coupled with a reimagining of that industry in order to move money around and keep those contracts on track and out of court or arbitration. In all cases, we're looking to the NPP as a way to push or pull a fiat payment in response to a change to the shared source of truth within the application. Um, but the other thing about the MPP is worth mentioning is its cost structure. We've often found that the MPP can be significantly cheaper than alternative payment rails because the cost of a transaction is fixed rather than percentage-based. 
So when you're dealing with large cash movements, the NPP becomes the obvious choice. So I think the key piece there to me is what will be the new normal in terms of inter-business transaction speed. If you can execute a trade process in a few seconds rather than at the end of the month, you're going to have to look to a fiat rail that can keep up. And so because the NPP can connect you with your counterparty's bank account and settle so quickly, it's going to look quite attractive to a distributed software architect looking for that fast settlement. For that reason, I think the future of of the NPP is quite bright as more and more organizations realize that uh, distributed tech can automate their inter-business relationships. This will put intermediary-style businesses under a fair amount of existential pressure, and there are going to be more and more opportunities for Block 8 to build software that is faster and cheaper uh, than what has come before by automating these digital rights and obligations. So looking to the future, the MPP's mandated payment service, which is currently under development, will enable customers to authorise payments to be made from their bank account. What impact do you think this will have for Block 8 and more broadly for blockchain? Yeah, uh, simply put, uh, the MPS will, I think, remove a key barrier for Australian fintech innovation. I say that because MPS access uh, will allow entrepreneurs to build financial products and services with much uh, higher levels of financial automation. So money will be more liquid. People and businesses will be paid sooner. The whole economy should become more efficient. Uh, I think it must be said as well that automating payments in this way uh, is actually nothing new. ADIs have had the ability to do this for a long time and historically, uh, you know, their propensity to expose these APIs to other fintechs was uh, you know, just not done. Uh, so it took a great deal of effort and luck to be able to meaningfully couple a fintech application with fiat payments in the past. So by pulling this functionality back into a common service rail, it levels out the playing field for fintech innovation to reach market. In practical terms for the consumer, the MPS, I think, will mean far fewer context switches uh, and manual steps in their financial applications and critically as well more automation in enforcing their digital rights and obligations again when it comes to both paying and getting paid. So on your website you say that Block 8 believes in the use of distributed ledgers to disrupt existing social and economic structures and make the world a fairer and more efficient place for all. Can you unpack that for me a bit more? Absolutely. So I suppose we we see the possibility of a world in which the software that we use is no longer at risk of abuse because of the data that tends to pool in large centralised contexts. Think of Facebook as one such example of this and the problems that that has given us because of the huge data it has managed to collect in a centralised system. This is just one uh, of the risks with centralising information. Markets can be reformed with this technology without those same risks of power imbalance from these information asymmetries. Sam, listening to you, you know, I'm getting the, a picture of a future that could look quite different and that blockchain could be quite 
an initiator of significant change. But today there seems to be constant debate about what the use cases for blockchain are in reality. What's your view on that and what's your favourite use case for blockchain that you would like to see get up and running right now? That's true. Uh, and I've uh, I most recently wrote about this in Block 8's submission to the uh, Senate Inquiry, Senate Select Committee for FinTech and RedTech Technology. I think there's two main reasons for the lack of uptake. The first one's quite simple. There's just a, a, a broad uh, lack of awareness of the existence of the technology. And we, we need to do more in order to couple top level you know desire from the likes of the federal minister and the prime minister to uh, be an innovative economy and use this technology uh, in a way that that makes us more competitive both domestically and internationally with the actual awareness and execution at, at a lower level i think the other part of it is misconception and i've been doing this for a while now and from my perspective Things like scalability is solved. Privacy is solved. Decentralized systems are actually fundamentally more secure and more resilient than centralized ones. So I would like to see us have a, an open conversation where we can actively target and break those misconceptions that seem to persist. I guess in terms of uh, favorite use cases, one thing that I haven't seen uh, done at all is, uh, and I think this needs more attention, is uh, uh, this notion of a shared industry application uh, where companies of the same type come together to share a business process between them that they all perform currently, but one that is essentially a cost of business and, and doesn't really add any real value uh, to their end customers. Think about these sorts of applications as essentially outsourcing that part of your operations, but to an entity that you both control and have an interest in and one where the development cost is completely uh, shared across all of your competitors. I think that this is quite compelling uh, in order to reduce uh, the um, aggregate cost of an industry and boost its overall competitiveness. It's also a fantastic way to achieve customer interoperability. There are lots of examples where we want competition in a market, but we also want end customer interoperability. So whilst we want, let's say, uh, uh, two markets to operate in a given, two or more markets to operate in a given industry uh, so that we have competition within that industry, uh, we also want to not fragment the end user base so we make the entire industry less efficient. So by using a, uh, a shared or a common business process fabric via a distributed system, we can satisfy both of those requirements at once. It's a, it's a great way to uh, achieve industry interoperability, uh, industry competition and industry efficiency uh, in, in, in the same software system. So a distributed ledger isn't a good fit in every instance, and we, we know that very well at Blockade. But guess what? As I think everybody will eventually agree with, neither is a centralized database. 
Well, Sam, I think that was a lot of thought-provoking content there, and I think this will be a very interesting episode of MPP Soundbites for the payments industry. So thanks so much for your time. Absolute pleasure. Thank you.